0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Americana Uncovered. This is our second episode, and it will be on the postal strike of 1970. So before we get into it, I'm just going to give you a couple uh, keynotes that we're going to be hitting on this topic. The uh, We're going to be talking about the setup. We're going to be talking about the state of the Postal Service before uh, the strike occurred, the strike itself, and the aftermath. So, uh... I hope you guys find this interesting and let's get right into the postal strike of 1970. So chances are you see a letter carrier at least once a day, maybe outside your front window as they walk up to your house to bring you your bills or packages, on the street in their red white and blue long life vehicles aka the mail truck, or maybe even in the grocery store late at night in their uniforms after they get off work. But the point is letter carriers are everywhere. There are over 250,000 carriers in the US that deliver 425.3 million pieces of mail a day in 41,683 different zip codes. Now the mail is definitely not as essential as it once was with the birth of technology, but it still plays a vital part in our everyday life. I should know this myself because I also am a letter carrier. For example, during COVID, thousands of medications were delivered through the post office to people that couldn't or shouldn't be leaving the house. Paper towels, toilet paper, and even water were delivered daily, making sure that people uh, that couldn't go out or shouldn't go out could be as safe as possible. Now think back 50 years ago with no email, no Amazon, how many people relied on the mail and what would happen if the mail stopped? and that's exactly what happened in the postal strike of 1970 so join me in this episode to find out how it all went down how it changed the Postal Service to this day and don't forget to mail a letter every now and then so the strike itself really wasn't any erratic behavior from the carriers and clerks this was something that was building up for years and years and the Postal Service actually was pretty lucky that it went on this long and a strike didn't happen before this. But with a lot of the civil rights movements and stuff in this full swing and, you know, a couple years prior, they kind of looked at that as an opportunity to say, well, what about us now? Um, So March 12th, 1970, the postal strike started in New York. The strike was a result of workers fed up with low pages and horrible working conditions for over 200 years, like I said. So this was this was since uh, Ben Franklin was the first postmaster general. They, they really weren't getting paid for what they were being asked to do. The reason they decided to strike at this particular time was because they were asking for higher wages. Um, at this time, wage increases had to be a be approved by Congress. They only got approval, but it was at a 5.4% increase, while Cong- Congress gave themselves over a 40% increase due to inflation. So that was pretty much the tipping point when you're getting. When Congress is getting 10 times more than you're even asking for, and you're just kind of looked on as. Very unimportant as you're playing a vital role in the country. Uh, in 1970, the starting salary for a letter carrier was $6,176. That would be $45,673.24 in 2023. And the top pay was only $8,442. That equals sixty-two thousand four hundred. $30.92 in 2023 but it took 21 years to get to that pay. The annual salary for a family of four to have a moderate life at that time in New York was close to $11,000 so if you just got out of high school or even if you were in your mid-20s you were making around 16 to maybe $6,300 and almost half of what you should be making for, um, you know, an average, average wage. So most letter carriers worked another full-time job, sometimes even two, and uh, most qualified for welfare. At this time, like I said, wages had to be approved by Congress because there was no collective bargaining between the post office and the carrier's union. It was usually joked as collective begging, uh, sorry, collective begging, although it was not really a joke because, They weren't struggling to survive. When you're working well above 40 hours and still not even making close to, and still qualifying for welfare, that really seems to be a problem. So to put into perspective, here are two employee stories Uh, I saw. There's a documentary on the NALC. Uh, If you type in on YouTube, just um, Postal Strike of 1970, a lot of videos will come up, but there's one. Um, on the NALC, which is the National Association of Letter Carriers uh, YouTube channel, and that's a good documentary on there. I found some stuff. So Thomas A. Neal, he was a part-time flex, which is is basically an assistant. He didn't have his own route yet. He was making a dollar sixty-one an hour, working a hundred thirty to a hundred and forty hours every two weeks. So that's way more than, you know, your everyday, you know, run-of-the-mill 80-hour work, bi-weekly work week. And um, most of the time he's working 12 hours days and for usually 12 days at a time, then he would have two days off. His first paycheck was $104 and his mortgage for that month was $101. So basically working outrageous numbers of time. He was bringing home two dollar, two hundred dollars, two hundred and eight dollars a month, and uh, you know, a, a quarter of that being taken out right off the bat to pay his mortgage. So how are you supposed to do anything with that, really? John Smith started in the fifties at a dollar an hour with no overtime pay. Management made workers sit in the break room off the clock and wait until the truck came in. Once the truck came in, they could clock in, unload the truck, and then were told to clock back out and wait for the next truck. And if they didn't like it, they can go home and not come back. But some people were so, you know, looking for work, they didn't really have any other options. So this is what they did. And at a dollar twenty-one on and off the clock in an eight-hour day, <laughs> you're making, I don't know, maybe $5, $6 a day. And. I know it's 1970, but, you know, what are you going to get with that? So, like I said, this is way overdue, and the post office kind of saw it coming. It just seemed like they wanted to see how long they can get away with it, barely paying their employees, and, you know, barely, they, they couldn't make ends meet. So, in July of 1969, in Kingbridge Bronx, 20 clerks and car- 20 clerks and 50 carriers took part in a one-day walk-up walkout to show how fed up they were. And this was a kind of a precursor of the uh, March 1970 strike, but this was at a very lower scale. They didn't have like a organized group to unify the, their walkout. But they were basically saying we do mean business and um, trying to bring a change. And that would all come together in a couple months when they went on the, the full strike in 1970. Now for part two, we're going to get more into the backstory of the post office and what they were really built like leading up to the strike. So like everything else in America after World War II, the post office started to boom. The mail volume doubled from 38 billion to 85 billion pieces, more than the rest of the world combined. They replaced public trains with their own fleet of trucks, and the post office had to hire tons of more staff to keep up with their increasing mail volume but their prices would mostly say the same, uh, this would serve as a quick fix by, but financially not great for them in the long run. It's just simple math. You have more employees and more people to pay. And even though, um, your, um, volume is going up, it's still you still have to pay out a lot more. And most of the time prices, will rise in that, and they didn't think it was um, necessary to raise the prices. Um, Higher-ups were fixated on mail volume, like I said, and became complacent instead of looking at other ways to develop the service with the evolving times. This came to a head way before 1970. In Chicago in 1966, the big main post office of the city was receiving tens of millions of pieces of mail in mountains that were cascading into the hallways and basements. Um, This backed them up so much that they had to close the office for almost three weeks. Workers were actually told to dump undeliverable mail, mostly third class in bulk, onto the side street alleys in rivers and were even told to burn some of it. Um, It was considered to be known the perfect storm because this was really another tipping point for the workers um most people were quick to blame the racial strife at the office and most employees were african-american um that was it's just always been um pretty much an equal rate of race hired at the post office but in the cities big cities like that there was more african-americans so people just with the times wrongly blame them um, it of course had nothing to do with race but the onslaught of, me- of mail that overwhelmed the employees so much not to mention on uh, how understaffed they were at the time the post office no longer had political clout to get necessary funding staffing or equipment and the postmaster general at the time Lawrence O'Brien said that the post office was in a race with catastrophe O'Brien stated that they needed to change their format. In April of 1967, a new model was proposed that this would make the post office depolitized, removed from the cabinet, and a government-owned nonprofit organization. Uh, It would be run by a board of directors, competent managers, and employees with the rights to collectively bargain. The deal uh, ultimately didn't get many people to believe that this was the right thing to do um especially congress they couldn't get the their backing so essentially this proposal for the new post office got scrapped um lyndon b johnson instead put together a task force to see what the postal problems were and how to fix them he also wanted a government-owned postal corporation and it to be self-supporting um the nalc the national letters of uh, National Association of, Letter Car- Association of Letter Carriers was against this because of growing fear that the company would be sold off down the road and become privatized. In essence, would also mean the loss of pensions and the end of a universal service. So um, while they did have um, good points <clears throat> in what they wanted to do, the NALC just totally couldn't back them 100% because they weren't sure, like, what would happen if uh, if it wasn't Johnson, if we got a new president after and he wanted to change his mind, that could really alter the post office and they would always kind of be on limbo. So they didn't agree with this and essentially that that, that didn't, um, like I said, the new proposal didn't get done and... The unions were totally against this because they also, like I said, wanted to ensure universal service. This would definitely take away um, maybe like middle America and stuff like that where maybe they're not making as enough uh, as much money. But um, like th- the unions and everyone believe that no matter where you live, you should get the same service for the same rate. So while this was all boiling together and. No one could agree on anything. Um, the man that was a president of the NALC at the time was James A. Rademacher. He was aggravated with the recent outcome of Congress uh, wage increase, but he also knew his members of the union were equally or even more unhappy. They had to be for some time now. He may have actually angered them even more after the wage increase was announced. He put out a memo stating to the members that he would be doing all that he could do to get the percentage increase, but in the meantime, all members should cool out until something was uh, resolved. So those two words, cool out, (laughs) set the union members ballistic. And at the time, he told Congress he no longer had control of his members, and then that they should start to prepare for a strike. Um, Funny little piece of information that I found was uh like I said that previously the post office kind of was just kept going and going to see how far they can get along uh, away with this but after the incident in Chicago and the other one in the Bronx they uh decided to write a handbook on how to deal with strikes in 1968 so two years previous uh prior to the the massive strike they already had um guidebook on what to do in that kind of situation for management um so like i said they just knew something was going to happen and they were just seeing how long they can get away with unfair pay and and horrible working conditions so the strike was set to uh take place in new york city it was branch number 36 excuse me who organized the beginning of the strike uh The New York Post Office was the biggest post office at the time, along they received the most mail in the country. So Rademacher decided to hold a vote to see if they should go in favor on the strike. And the vote went 1,555 members in favor and 1,055 opposed. So it was official the strike would start at midnight in New York. It was illegal to strike against the government, though that would not be a concern for the picketers. Um, Each worker would be subjected to a thousand dollar fine jail sentence up to a year and a day and an automatic loss of a job. So a lot was on the line, but they kind of were in the same mindset that we're not making, you know, anything what we should be right now. So if we get fired, what's, you know, what's there's nothing we want to fight for what we think we should be getting paid. We want to do this job, but it needs to be under the right circumstances uh like i said it first started in new york and then rapidly started to spread to new jersey and connecticut and then it just took off and started to spread all over the country over 700 post office including nine of the biggest nine of the ten biggest offices would close Uh, This affected more than just mail delivery. The stock market was crippled. Department stores could not send out bills and statements for charge account customers. Magazine companies dropped off periodicals and bills with no one to sort it. Uh, Newsweek ran an article stating, quote, the U.S. postal system for all its creaky inefficiencies simply has no parallel in performing its vital functions. Um, There were a lot of veterans that worked for the Postal Service, and they were at the risk of losing everything um non-veterans were still aware that they would be losing their jobs but also they were okay with that as long as it would make it worth it for the next line of workers besides new york new jersey connecticut uh, other cities started to join such as cleveland akron buffalo chicago dearborn st paul denver and san francisco uh 30 major city cities all over were on strike with no mail service so president nixon at the time, started to panic and he said he would agree to start negotiations if the workers went back to the job. Uh, all workers stood together and said no. They heard enough talk over the years and it was going to, they, they if they were going back to work, there would have to be an agreement in place. At this point, Nixon had to try something else out, um, so he called the National Guard to help out. 9,000 men got the call to report to various post offices and to get the work done the army officers had no idea obviously they're not mailmen uh, what to do once they got there not really given any instructions besides from the mailmen who were in the service at the time they were instructed by their instructors to teach the rest of the um, military men how to do um, everyday functions and it just was a total mess uh this probably made things even worse after only 2 days nixon de- re- uh decided to rescind the troops so the strike started quickly and spread quickly and it lasted a whole 7 days so a, w- a full week of um no mail delivery in you know a better part of the country um, on march 25th it finally came to a close it was a long time coming but for the strike accomplished um the strike accomplished better wages and the right for unions to collectively bargain top pay status was reached in eight years instead of 21 better working conditions were promised and arbitration was now available now available if both sides can come could not come to an agreement so this is uh pretty big in our uh, our local or our national um contracts up so i don't think there has been a time in the last 20 years that they didn't have to go to an arbitrator not that they can't agree on anything it's just um it's just impossible for both sides to agree on everything so this um part of the strike is a pivotal part even now in 2023 where we're coming up on national uh, negotiations again um, in this post office, uh, it's also became government owned, a corporation, just like O'Brien was trying to accomplish three years prior. Um, this helped out a great ton because it let the post office borrow money that they needed to bring, um, more updated equipment and better buildings into the 20th century. Part of the better working conditions that they were striking for. All of these were, uh, t- all of these changes were taking place and being stated in the Postal Reorganization Act. The Post Office also went and underwent a name change from the Post Office Department to the United States Postal Service, as we know it today on July 1st, 1971. Um, it it kind of seems like once they sh- were done with the strike, they went back to work. This all went into place the next day, but it didn't go over very smoothly at all. Um, Although the union and the workers eventually got what they wanted, the post office and Congress still were dragging their feet. Uh, Union militants started talking about another strike on April 27th, 1970. And Nixon knew that he couldn't wait any longer or afford to have another postal strike. So this time it was predicted that the walkout... uh, Oh, so this time it was predicted the walkout would be even bigger than the one that occurred in March. So, like I said, Nixon knew knew he had to... uh, Could not let this happen again. And also Rademacher pursued his members to be patient, saying there was no reason to throw away what they just had worked for um, in the final, you know, the the month prior. So they were probably not going to get any better than what they got. So just, I know he aggravated them with the cool-off quote, but it (laughs) seems like he was trying to say the same thing again. Um, So it finally got signed by nixon on august 12 1970 five months to the day um nixon had signed the postal reorganization act the post office turned to the usps um, they have the right to bargain collectively uh, for contracts and better wages we don't have to go through congress this also took away the president's power to appoint A postmaster general or anyone of higher power making decisions for the post office now they have a board of um governors and you know some are uh, democratic some are republican and they kind of vote in uh their majority is dictates who can go in the post office so it's not like a president's buddy is you know just doing whatever he wants him to do it's a little more fair now um this doesn't mean that there's not crazy still unfair wages and un, um, not really great working conditions still in 2023 most of our trucks even though we are going to be getting new uh, electric trucks most of our trucks are from the 1980s still and they're just falling apart um, everything's just really old in there and the working conditions i mean the working wages itself they restructured the pay scale in 2013 so um, it's not you, you, you make uh pretty decent money, but it, when you first start out, it's not a great uh place to start out. And I feel like that, uh, that's why they're having such problems, keeping people hired and stuff. But nonetheless, without the great part is every four years we can negotiate And try to work out a better deal for the workers. And if it wasn't for the strike of 1970, none of this would be possible. And to be honest, the post office would probably be some kind of like a UPS kind of thing. A a privately owned company. And there wouldn't be, you know, regardless if it's junk mail or not. Or, you know, sometimes a card from your parents, your grandparents, Christmas cards. Anything. uh, Without this strike that all could have been erased completely um so for my sources that i used for this episode is a book called how the post office created america by winfred gallagher Um, also another book neither snow nor rain by devin leonard i posted these two books on my instagram they have both chapters on the strike but a whole lot of other information that I would suggest if you're interested in um, the post office itself and not just the strike to go check those out because those are definitely very interesting and also um, facts.usps.com and the nalc.org that they have the that documentary I was talking about on their website but it, they also have it on their um, YouTube page to find that out so That's the episode for you. I hope you liked it. Um, Like I said, the post office still, whether you want to admit it or not, is a very pivotal part in um, our country and how our country turns. So I hope you guys found that as interesting, maybe not as interesting as me considering I am a mailman. But um, I just thought it was a cool thing and maybe a little lesser known thing that happened about 52 years, 53 years ago now. Um, so that that's it for this episode. Like I said, we're going to be introducing Brief Broadcast, which is a little bit shorter of an episode, probably around the 10 to 15 minute um, range compared to these full length episodes that are around a half hour. So I wanted to give you guys a little more content in between the f- monthly episodes. So on, this is March I'm sorry, this is February 3rd that this is coming out. On February 10th, we'll be doing a brief broadcast titled So Long, David Crosby. That will be um, discussing the life of the late, great David Crosby. Um, And then on February 17th, we will be discussing the history of spring training um, with baseball right around the corner. Big baseball fan, and I just found that to be pretty interesting how the war and everything altered spring training that seems like a you know minor thing but world war ii played a huge part on that um that will also be a brief broadcast and then on march 3rd episode 5 full length episode will be released uh the topic for that is still tba but um yeah listen on spotify follow me on instagram americana underscore uncovered email me with any questions any um you know ideas at americana uncovered at gmail.com and uh hope you guys enjoy your month i'll see you soon see you next friday for so long david crosby